as the Lord speaks, His, uh, His glory is what takes over the whole earth uh, through the power of His Word. And we praise the Lord for that. We ask that He will speak today uh, through His Word. We do have a verse, a memory verse here. Let's see here. There it is. This is our kind of our passage that introduces us to the theme for the year. As we think of the word running. The word running, right? We thought of three specific ways that we want the word to run in our lives. Um, Nimada, is that you? Yes. All right, good to see you. Welcome. <laughs> good to have you today. All right. I think, Louisa, I think it's been maybe at least a year, maybe closer to 10. Okay, 10 years. So good to have you ladies back. Hopefully you're staying for 10, but we'll get caught up after the service here. Good to see you. All right, so we have uh, here just a kind of a recovering the theme for this year, uh, that the word would run, and we think of that, uh, that it would run in our lives individually, in our church community, and then in our uh, community around, around us, right? So we kind of apply that in three practical ways in the service last Sunday. Uh, the first one was individually, uh, that you start a Bible reading program. And so maybe you've already done that. If you have not, then please uh, pick one of these up at, on the back table. If you don't have a Bible reading program, here is a good one. Um, I, we're, we kind of do this each year. We suggest one, and you don't have to do this. You can do your own, right? That's fine, but it's kind of cool if we're all on the same page and then you're like, hey, did you, you know, you got to Luke today too? Yeah, yeah, what did you, you know, what did the Lord teach you? So it's kind of a neat way for us as a church family to stay together on that. So you can pick this up to build yourself up individually. Um, and uh, thank you, Peggy, for, for, for taking this uh, and uh, making, it, making it fit all on one page. Uh, this leaves out Sundays. Uh, so Sundays you can catch up, or Sundays you can uh, spend some time meditating on the text for the day that we're going to be uh, spending time on as a church, um, or maybe work on some verse memory is what I'm suggesting, some verse memory. Okay, so you can see the date each day, and then you cross it off, so if you get a little behind, so it opens up like this, and then you start here with January 2, and then you cross off the little dot as you finish it, so if you get behind, you can... Keep that in your Bible and you can keep pace. We're going to do this as a church family. We're going to memorize Psalm 119 this year. Not all of it, but we're going to start. So we're going to do a verse a month. We can do that. We can do that. So this is our verse for January as we think of Psalm 119, verse 1. All right, so some of you have this memorized already. Somebody yell out to me or just speak to us, right? We're all in the same family. What does Aleph mean here? What does that have to do with this verse? Helen? Absolutely, right. So it's pointing us to what fact? Okay, good. It's the beginning. And, and then also the next, I think is it seven verses? The next several verses begin with A, uh, showing us that this, this whole chapter, this huge song, is an acrostic. It's a poem. And so each of these beginning verses begin with the letter Aleph. All right, so let's say this out loud together and, uh, and see if we can help our minds. And, and we'll do some mnemonic devices as we go along. But today we have, we have a lot to cover, so I just want to uh, jump through this uh, uh, together. So let's read it twice at least, okay? Aleph, uh, and we'll just read the verse. We don't need to read Aleph each time. Um, can you read it out loud with me? How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Okay, one more time. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. And there's parallels there, right? And I can't teach the verse, but as you memorize it and meditate on the week, you'll teach it to yourself. The Spirit will unfold that to you, and it will help you to walk in His way and be blameless. And there will be many other blessings that we'll discover as we go along there. Okay, so we're going to start, before I get to that, uh, that's for us as a church. And then as we think about our community, we really want to invite our whole community to this series, Who is Jesus? Um, this is how the word of the Lord will run 
Not just in our lives, not just in our church, but in our community. And so if you would take, I have a stack of about 600 of these on the back table. If you take a few of those and hand it to someone that you know and say, hey, I don't know what you know about the life of Jesus. This is very fascinating. Uh, If you want to join me next Sunday at 1 p.m., uh, we can sing some songs and listen a little bit about what the Bible says about Jesus. So that's one way you can do that, okay? So then our culture knows about this. And we'll be passing these out Wednesday and then often on Saturdays as well as a church family uh, for this new year. So let's get into this series. Uh, okay, so I, I think this is going to work. We'll see. Um, yes. Okay. Uh, who is Jesus discovering the incomprehensible Christ? Discovering the incomprehensible Christ. So we look at this text, I would like to begin with one verse. Actually, it's the last verse in all of this. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, if you'll go to the last verse of John, and then as we end the sermon today, we're going to look at the first verse of Mark, which actually chronologically is probably the first verse in the Gospels. But the last verse of the Gospel of John, John 21, 28, says this, Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. Fascinating truth. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you because this is true. And many books have been written about you. um, And yet we are dependent upon your word. And the reliable nature of your word, that it's unpacked in front of us and we are changed. Uh, Dear Holy Spirit, that you actually um, breathed out these words and, and open our eyes to these truths. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you are with us even now, where two or three, you are in the midst. You promised that you would be with us. Until the end of the age, you will go with us. And so you're with us now. We know that because of that, you've brought us near to the Father. Father, we thank you that you have um, offered up your Son on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. Help us to get a clarify and solidify this preaching of the Messiah, that this good news would be our good news, um, Lord, that it would, it would not just change us, but it would motivate us to live to your glory uh, as a foundation uh, for living to your glory every day of our lives, whatever you call us to each day. And so we pray for your blessing, your glory, Build up your church through this series. We pray that indeed your word, the word of the Lord, the words about Jesus, our Lord, would run. That they would run in each of our lives to every inch of our being. And that they would run uh, all across New York City. Uh, Lord, we pray this for your glory Because you deserve the attention and the lordship of each person. The worship of each person. So Lord, help us to look at this not just as academic, not just as an historian, but as worshipers. Lord, may we be overwhelmed with what we discover today about your son. And like Thomas, may we fall on our knees And say, my Lord, my God. We ask for your blessing today, not just here, but all across uh, the city where your word is preached for our sister churches. May may all these boats be filled with fish. Um, Break our nets, Lord, um, as we are fishers of men, uh, calling people to follow you. For you're worthy of that. And so we commit this time to you, this series to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Lesson one of 15, 
discovering the incomprehensible Christ. I don't know if you've ever felt like you were going to die. I remember one. I shouldn't tell which daughter, but one of our daughters was very careful, very careful young lady. When she was about six or so, we were driving and we had so talked to them about their seatbelts and wearing their seatbelts that, that we pulled out going down the street when she didn't have her seatbelt on and she just screamed out, I am going to die. Right? She just felt like she was about to die. Um, now, she wasn't about to die, right? but sometimes we feel that way because we're on a roller coaster uh, because something in life is vexing us. Um, maybe you have actually faced uh, a real life and death situation. Maybe you have faced terminal illness. Uh, maybe you have faced someone shooting you uh, or stabbing you. Or uh, perhaps you have faced an angry, angry person You're like, this might be the end. But most of us don't feel that way. Perhaps you have faced, as you've seen some of these scenes on the news lately, you've faced some kind of natural disaster where you felt like this is, this is the end of, um, I know some of you have. You would better be able to put yourself in these sandals if we could find ourselves on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, here's a picture of the Sea of Galilee itself. It's not a huge sea. It's more like a lake. You can see across it most of the places on a clear day at least. Seven miles north to south, right? Seven miles, this would be north to south. And then, I'm sorry, 12 and a half miles north to south, seven and a half east to west. So not a huge body of water. But coming up from the west here are two large valleys that go up mountains. A couple mountains like 2,600 feet, the mountains raise from there. And, and what that does in those valleys is kind of produce an air tunnel going down to the Sea of Galilee, which is 600 feet below sea level. And so you have all this air coming down. And what would happen often, as we read our Bibles, is that little bowl of water would become something that would be shaking. And, and it would be a tremendous storm. A tremend and it would come out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, there are seven-foot waves. Okay? So, so you're, you're up here, and then you're down here, and then you're up here, and then you're down another 10 feet. Um, our 10 friends, probably 13, we don't know how many were on the boat at this time, um, would be in a boat kind of like this. This actually was uncovered just recently, within the last 35 years, dating back to the Sea of Galilee at the time of Jesus. 20 feet long. Not extremely long. I mean, maybe the size of this stage and then seven feet wide. So similar to this stage. If you can imagine this whole stage and you can see both sides water, right? As it comes narrow up here, I mean, you're like this. And you see water on both sides. And your whole stage is going up to the ceiling and down. You just put yourself in that. You're throwing up. You're sweating. You're trying profusely to... Empty out water and empty out water and empty out water and it is filling up totally, right? Even if you're not capsized, you're sunk if this storm keeps up. And on the front there on a, well, it says a pillow, but probably a sandbag, is your master who you're following, leaving all to follow. What's he doing? He's sleeping. Even while the boat was filling up with water. Now Jesus worked himself to exhaustion as a human. He is resting. Sleeping. We find this scene. Mark 4. There arose a fierce gale of wind and the waves were breaking over the boat. So much that the boat was already filling up. That much water. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care? Often we do this in life when we are filling up with water. We doubt what we know to be true about our God. Yes, he cares for you. But sometimes we sense he's sleeping. 
right. In this storm, it does sometimes feel like he's sleeping. Verse 39, I love it. Jesus gets up, rebukes the wind. Kind of like you would rebuke your dog for barking at someone they shouldn't bark. Hush! Right? Maybe not that loud. We don't know. Now it's loud wind. So he, hush! I think I can feel that tone more. Be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. Put yourself in that boat. You were just afraid for your life. Terrified. And now you wake up Jesus. He says, hush, be still. And the storm has its tail between its legs and it's hiding behind Jesus. So sorry, so sorry, the storm says. I shouldn't have done that. And you hear the water start to trickle down the sides of the boat. Uh, the, the, the water starts is still drenching you, but, but it's like totally calm. You see across the sea of glass now. And Jesus says, well, why are you afraid? How is it that you have no faith? All right, and maybe this rebuke is for, for you today. We come with so many storms in life that sometimes you feel like, I have 10 storms, Tim, that are just totally uh, on my horizon. And I don't know which one is going to swallow me up. Okay, okay, well, let's just, just say, Lord Jesus, please wake up and help me. Okay, that's what you need to do today. And now let's just focus on him. Just let him calm that storm in your mind. Say, Lord, please take it away and, and help me focus on you now. He's going to help us do that because that's what we need in the storm. But this is it. This is what I want to get to. They became very much afraid and said to one another, what? Who is this? Who is Jesus? Who is this? And that's our title of this series. Who in the who is this? They had already left all to follow him, and they're still getting down further and further. How in the world do we know who this one is? Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Well, we know more about it, but just, just put yourself in there. You are ready to die. And this man, this human, some of them know him for a long time, though they've just been following him recently, and he is going to command the sea. This is amazing. This is amazing. Who is this? And so that was a common question in Jesus' day. It's one that we maybe know a little bit more the answer to, but I'm just going to tease that out by way of introduction, that question, who is Jesus? And then we're going to help us understand kind of where we're going with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John here, okay? And that's an important, I think, background to understanding uh, this whole series. So this will be helpful for us. Who is Jesus? And ask these two questions. How can we ask who is Jesus? And then how can we answer the question, who is Jesus? How can we ask the question, who is Jesus? And how can we answer the question? All right, first of all, this was a question in Jesus' day. Right? They were asking this, but a lot of people were asking this. And there were some crazy answers given. Who is Jesus? The disciples asked it there. He asked them in Mark 8, who do people say that I am? People even asked this when Jesus came into the Jerusalem at the triumphal entry. They are still saying, who is this at the triumphal entry? Who is this? The answers that were given were either very negative or very positive. Um, these are the different theories that came up. And, and I, I really think this is what C.S. Lewis is getting at. You, you probably have heard this quote. Uh, it's often quoted. I think it's helpful. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying that really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. This, namely, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. Right, so uh, C.S. Lewis is saying, some people say that, but we shouldn't say that. I'll accept him as a teacher, but not as God. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic 
on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him the Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. It's one or the other. And you you start to see these two parties emerge as Jesus tells more and more about himself. And, And in fact, look at even some of his family, right? Uh, Some at the beginning said, oh, this is just the carpenter's son. But then these Pharisees twice in Matthew started saying, this is, he's he's demon-possessed. That's why he has all these powers. And Jesus totally shut that down. And they were blaspheming the Holy Spirit there. But that was, that's what C.S. Lewis is saying. Some people went to that conclusion because you can't just say he's a moral man and still that he's doing what he's doing or saying what he's saying. And even his family said he's crazy. He's losing his senses. We need to take possession of him, is what they tried to do there toward the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. But as the series progresses, as we look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we do find uh, this, these three popular views that are more positive. Okay, who is this? And Jesus asked his disciples, Matthew 8, this is a turning point, Mark 8, a turning point in each of the Gospels. When Jesus asks, who do people say that I am? And he said, some say John the Baptist. That's was Herod's view. Secondly, some say he's Elijah. Others, a great prophet. And then Peter, he says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God, as we'll get to. But these are some negative and positive in one sense, false theories of who Jesus was. And so this is what that was batted about. I would say, secondly here, that it is impossible to answer this question completely. Uh, he is wonderful, incomprehensible. Uh, there is really, there's really no way to completely understand and answer the question, who is Jesus? Daniel Webster was asked by a Unitarian minister, someone who would deny most of the supernatural things about the gospel. He says, Daniel Webster, well, can you comprehend how Christ is fully God and fully man? Webster responded, no, I cannot understand it. And I would be ashamed to acknowledge him as my savior if I could comprehend it. He could be no greater than myself. And such is my conviction Accountability to God, my sense of sinfulness before him, and my knowledge of my own incapacity to recover myself, that I feel I need a superhuman savior. So we don't understand. Fully God, fully man, all that's going on there, I can't understand it all. I can't completely understand it all. And we're going to tease that out a little bit as we go along here. Uh, Some fascinating things to understand. But, but we just can't completely answer this question. Um, his works are wonderful, right? He is wonderful and incomprehensible, but his works as well, what we just read. Many other things which Jesus did, right? And so these are selected in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but there's so many other things that we could go into what Jesus did, and these are the things that God has revealed to us. If it were written in detail, the world itself would not contain all those books. I love books. <laughs> oh, I love, love books about Jesus. There's so many written. But you know, if we kept writing, kept writing, kept writing, and knew more and more of who he was, we could just keep writing the rest of our lives, all of humanity, and we'd never get to the end of it. Why? Because he's infinite. He's incomprehensible. Even his actions. And so in one sense, as we try to answer this question, um, it's impossible. We can't understand or comprehend all the complexities of who Jesus is. So who is Jesus? Well, we can't completely do it. But as we answer this, we'll realize who is Jesus? Well, this is worship. As we answer this question, we realize that we are worshiping. This question itself, answering this question for our hearts and in our minds, actually is understanding that this is Jesus. He is God And he is to be worshipped. 
all the way back in Matthew 2, 2. And if you're taking notes, I would write down these references. Matthew 2, 2, the wise men bow down to worship Jesus. Matthew 14, when Jesus calms the storm, the disciples, it says, bow down and worship him. Matthew 28, 9, the women who saw Jesus after he arose bowed low and worshiped him. The disciples worshiped the risen Jesus in Matthew 28, 17. Luke 24, 15 describes the disciples worshiping Jesus as he ascended. The blind man whom Jesus healed in John 9, 38 bowed low and worshiped him. Thomas, as we thought in our prayer, uh, who had been called or considered doubting when he saw Jesus risen, bowed and worshiped and said, what? Anybody remember? My Lord and my God. He bowed and worshiped. The angels bow and worship. And so this is worship. He is God. But also, number four here, this, answering this question is very practical. Understanding who Jesus is, that he is human. He's not just God, he is human. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is explaining who God is to us so that we know how to walk godly, Christ-like. And so he is with us in our boat. So this is so practical. When we look at Jesus, we, we take our eyes off the storm. We walk on the water like Peter because we're with Jesus. He is with us. He's with you today. And that will encourage us. That will help us. But it also gives us a target. It will tell us the character that we need to develop in our lives. It will convict us of areas where we need to change. Of the compassion. Of the zeal of the Lord. All of these things we'll discover. And it will help us spur us on to Christ-likeness. And so Christ is with us. He is living even in us. And he's giving us grace to follow him to the end. This was prophesied. Matthew alone quotes 60 different Old Testament passages. So who is Jesus? Well, we could have seen him in the Old Testament, as we did in our previous series. This is spoken of all over in the Old Testament, who Jesus is. And then sixthly, this is possible. This is encouraged. Answering the question, who is Jesus? Well, the Bible answers that question. There are four books in your Bible. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, you, you see an Old Testament and a New Testament. You open up the New Testament, and the first, the first four books are what? Gospels, and what are they? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Good. So it is possible. This is what's really cool about this. Uh, we consider... Uh, who is Jesus, and try to answer the question, I don't have to wing it today. I don't have to wing it over the next 14 weeks. I don't have to, to dig, and, and we won't be able to go into this a whole lot, but you know there aren't many texts that have survived that talk firsthand about who Jesus is. And I'll get into that another time. Most of the ones that people, secular folks, like to spin to talk about Jesus are written 300 years after Jesus. It's like, why are, you, why are you even looking at those when you can look at these that are written at the time of Jesus? First-hand witnesses. I don't know why people... It's like if I were to write about George Washington with any authority over the authority of those who actually were eyewitnesses of what he did. And I totally slanted it completely. Any honest historian would just throw away my blog or my writings about George Washington as the real George Washington, right? Right? Don't we see that 300 years later? Well, this is the same thing with Jesus. Why would you look at documents written 300 years after him? Tim, you hear about the epistle of Judas? Yeah, 300 years after Jesus. Why would we just throw it in the trash? Right. Anyway, we'll get into that another time. Uh, these four, God has. what if God chose to reveal to you what he wanted you to know about his son? He has. He has. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to try, by God's grace, to, to put together in the next several weeks, from Christmas to Easter, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Look at all four of them to help us understand the question, who is Jesus? I don't have to. All I have to do is, is try, by God's grace. All you have to try to do, by God's grace, is to read all of those Gospels constantly, and you will understand who is Jesus. 
Now, as we continue on, we'll see Acts, we'll see Romans, and by God's grace, we'll, we'll continue that way. But right now, we just need to understand this story. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we will be able to answer the question, who is Jesus? So, this is where we're going with this. This is an overview of Jesus' life uh, told by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, and so, we're going to kind of break it down into 14 weeks from here on out. Next week, we're going to look at his birth and childhood. And then there's that real long gap where we don't know very much at all. And then we'll pick up with his baptism in public ministry. Um, and then by God's grace, at Easter, you know, Good Friday, we'll look at the crucifixion, Easter Sunday, resurrection, and the next Sunday, the ascension, and we'll get right into Acts. Um, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are so helpful because they, they, they really work together. This is fascinating. This is the big picture for today, okay? So, so don't lose me here. I've got to look at a few more really important details, and then we're going to get into the verse 1, okay? But we've got to understand who these people are. Because this is God's way of telling you who Jesus is. He chose these four people. So I, I, they, each of them show this this way. And I, you can outline Jesus' life many different ways. But we're going to look at birth. And then we're going to pick it back up at baptism. And what we'll see is there's this growth in popularity at the beginning of each Gospels. And some people try to, you can try to organize his life in, we'd say, kind of like where, where he is on the map. Uh, Galilee, Judea, you can try to do it chronologically, and we're going to do that with these big ideas. Growth in popularity, decline in popularity, death, resurrection, ascension. Okay. But we first of all have to understand who our authors are, because this is so helpful. This is so cool. Um, I, I love this. Who are these guys? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay. I have a brother named Matthew. My middle name's Mark. Right? I know some guys named Luke and John. This, so this is like 2,000 years later. These guys must be pretty influential. What do you know about them? And how does that fit into how God chose who he wanted to write about his son for us to talk about for thousands of years? It's significant. It's very significant. So let's look at these guys. And you have a chart there. Actually, I do have this chart. I, I printed off some of these if you want the answers to this. Or I can email it to you. Uh, because I think... Um, it'll be a little difficult to fit it all in here. But let's just try to understand real quick here who these people are. Uh, who are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Matthew. Well, what we're going to do is just look at the person, who this person is, when they wrote, and then what was the big idea of their gospel. And I would encourage you, if you can, like you can sit down and read Mark's gospel in one sitting. It's, it's very easy. Matthew, Luke, and John are a little more difficult. But if you really wanted to, this week, you could take Matthew Monday, Tuesday, Mark Wednesday, Luke, I, I totally, I can't do that right now as I'm talking out loud. You could do it this way. There you go. Matthew Monday, Tuesday, Mark Wednesday, Luke Thursday, Friday, John Saturday, Sunday, and you'd be through it all. Um, anyway, let's keep going. Who is this? Who is this Matthew? Who is Matthew? Well, before he met Jesus, we're going to look at pre, prime, and post of each of these guys. Before he met Jesus, who was Matthew? Tax collector. Well, that sounds a little, uh, I don't like that, right? A little IRS-y, but uh, even more so. And I'm going to do a little review of this show. I don't know if you guys are watching The Chosen. I, I've enjoyed that. But I, I like how they portray Matthew. I don't know if they get it square on the nose. I think Matthew is older. But... But uh, he was hated. He was despised. Tax collectors were despised. He's Jewish, but he sold himself out for money. In order to get more money, he is really collecting taxes from God's children. They hated tax collectors. Like, you have prostitutes, tax collectors. Politicians somewhere in between those two. right? And, and here we have... A tax collector before Jesus, wealthy, has everything in place in life, really has things smooth except that he's hated by his people. But, but they got along pretty well, the tax collectors. Very powerful, influential people. Um, okay, collecting custom, uh, collecting, collecting uh, fare as people go from one area to the next. 
But in his prime, he becomes an apostle. Jesus sees him at the tax collecting spot. And he says, Matthew, follow me. We don't know much of the backstory. We can put, I'm not going to talk much about backstory that I do not know. We don't know much of the backstory, but we do know that Jesus saw this sinful, wicked man. And there was so much work he had done in his life that he left everything, left all the security, left all his wicked accomplices, and ends up having a feast for Jesus as he follows him. He is an apostle. We do find him as a professional, a sinner, but a professional sinner, right? So he's like, I think we have a lot of professional sinners in New York City. There's just, you know, I mean, they're just known to do things, to twist, twist the rules, right? To like, like maybe a hedge fund person that's in prison now, right? This is Matthew. They were able to, to, to collect as much as they could get, squeeze as much as they could. And so this is Matthew. We find out later in his life, he probably was martyred in Ethiopia as he continued to follow Jesus. Mark, a young, wealthy Jewish boy, had everything he needed, raised in Jerusalem. Perhaps his dad had died. Perhaps there's some of that. Um, But his his mom is wealthy. We see the early church meeting in her house. Uh, So she is a Christian. He has everything he needs. Perhaps at the end of Mark, we find him fleeing we're not sure about that, but there's a young man at the end of Mark that flees in his, in his undergarments, right? Um, that may have been Mark. But, but in either case, he's a young, wealthy... You could just put yourself... Like, just understand, this is totally different from Matthew. He's Jewish, but he's raised in Jerusalem. He knows everything that's going on, but he's entitled. He's had everything given to him. Younger than Matthew. In his prime, he becomes a missionary evangelist with Paul. But he quit that. It was too hard. He left it. It's like, this isn't for me. I'm going to go home to mom. And he did. His cousin Barnabas met him there and built him back up, didn't he? He said, listen, hey, hey, Paul, we can still use John Mark. He's okay. Come on. Come on, John Mark. Let's go. Let's go. Barnabas, this son of encouragement, builds John Mark back up. And he continues to serve with Barnabas. And later he stays hand in hand faithfully with Peter. And so when you read the early church fathers from like 100 years after this, or actually 80 years after this, they all say that, that actually the Gospel of Mark is almost like the memoirs of Peter. Like Peter was the eyewitness, but Mark is just, just kind of putting together and describing all that he's learning from this, his dad, his spiritual dad, that maybe he didn't have growing up, uh, Peter. And so we read these first-hand accounts from Mark. I love his writing. It's so fast. He, he just looks at all the action. He's like, it's, it's, it's kind of like a Marvel book, right? He's just showing you all the action. Leaves out all the teaching. Leaves out all the theology. It's real simple Greek. This young man just saying, you guys got to know what's going on here. Probably the earliest one written. And then he's martyred in Alexandria. Luke, totally different, a Gentile. Probably the only Gentile who wrote in your Bible. The only non-Jewish person. We think he's, we believe he to be, him to be Gentile. Um, the way, way Paul refers to him. Uh, so a Gentile doctor. Professional. Right? This white collar. Everything together with Luke. Luke is a, is a sinner, but he's not a notorious sinner. He's like, he's like your, your normal, decent, good neighbor. Right? has a good job, loves to help people. Um, But you know what? They still need God. They still need Jesus. Maybe you can identify with Luke. Uh, Maybe you have a lot of acquaintances here in New York that are just like Luke. Lived faithfully their whole life, right? This is Luke. Leaves everything to be a missionary evangelist with Paul as well. And so we read about him. He wrote Luke and Acts more than any others. He is very careful to interview. He's, a, he's, almost, he's an historian. Everything Luke does, he does well. So he's like, listen, Theophilus, others have tried to write about this Jesus. I'm going to do it well. And the Holy Spirit uses that. He uses that professional person to really be accurate. In fact, there was a time that the secular historians doubted Luke. And his names and his references. 
And what archaeology has consistently done over the last 50 years is said, you are all wrong, you crazy secular folks. And Luke was right. And archaeology continues to uncover all that Luke has said. And so he was really accurate and perhaps martyred in Greece. John, I love John. Here comes our blue-collar, young, rough fisherman. I mean, this is, I mean, John is, is big. He's bigger than life, probably quiet, but, but he's a son of thunder. Don't cross John. All right, you leave. I'm going to go into all that, but, but Jesus calls him son of thunder. John, um, young, follows Jesus, leaves all, leaves his, his, right, we would say his trade that he learned from his parents. And then he follows Jesus. He's an apostle. Again, only Matthew and John were apostles in this group. Uh, so he's another firsthand witness to everything that goes on. An evangelist. We find him as an evangelist. And then as an inner city pastor. Pastors Ephesus for a while. After we would find later in life, he's a prisoner in exile. Uh, and then wrote several of your epistles and Revelation. There's John. What neat mixture of people. White collar, blue collar, wealthy, poor. John's poor, raised poor. Um, notoriously sinful, decent. Uh, just really, really neat batch of people to put together. Uh, look at the timing of their writing. I won't go into all of this, but I think it is helpful to realize Mark was probably the beginning. And you have Matthew and Luke. And then John comes along later, and it does look like he's trying to fill the gaps of what Matthew, Mark, and Luke have not done. And so he's trying to give us more information about them. So the big idea from Matthew, Jesus is the Son of Man. And as you read that, he keeps bringing that out, bringing that out. But as you continue reading Matthew, you recognize what he's saying there is not his humanity. He's referring to Daniel 7. And when he says Son of Man, he's actually talking about Jesus as Messiah, King, and the one who has all the authority. Because in, in Daniel 7, all authority is given to this, uh, this one like the Son of Man who comes to the Ancient of Days. And so this is who Matthew keeps talking about. Jesus is the one who has all authority. And that's how he ends his book. But several times he alludes verbatim to that Daniel 7. To tie in, Jesus kept calling himself Son of Man. This is what he was saying, Israel. And so he probably has a Jewish audience in mind as he's saying, this Jesus is Messiah, but he's not just Messiah of Jewish people. He's ruler over all the nations. All authority has been given to him in heaven and earth. Make disciples, make followers of him. This is what Matthew's trying to do. Again, he quotes the Old Testament all throughout, showing that Jesus is fulfilling these prophecies, showing that Jesus is the Messiah, ruler of all. Big idea in Mark. Again, I... You, you know, people say, well, servant king, I, I see that. I just see Mark telling the story, right? I, and you do see the beginning of Mark. There's all this immediately, immediately, immediately toward the end of Mark. It's like, focuses on Jesus' authority, authority, authority. But we do find Mark developing the idea of Jesus' servanthood a little more than the others, but also active in salvation. The servant king who has the authority to bring us salvation. Luke, Jesus is the spirit-filled Savior of the world. Right? The, if you trace the theme of God's spirit in Luke more than any other book, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And again, we find a detailed, studied history of the life and ministry of Christ through a two-volume work. John, Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Again, the Son of God is so important here, where, he, where John brings out the divinity of Jesus more than anyone else. Uh, he's written later, uh, filling in the gaps to share what the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, did not share. And so as you read, and as we'll see here as we go along, you'll see a lot of texts that, deal, that Matthew, Mark, and Luke deal with, and John doesn't deal with them at all. And a lot of texts that John deals with that Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't deal with at all. He's trying to fill that out, but he also gives a lot more of the theology that's developing there. Okay, that's a lot of details. Thanks for walking with me through that, okay? But this is going to help us. Now look at Mark 1. Okay? Now we move over to Mark 1. And let's just put this all together. This is probably the first 
chronologically, the, the first text of Bible written following the Old Testament. The Old Testament ends with a curse. New Testament here. Open it up. First words. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's what it's all about. This, this gospel. He's beginning it, but this is what it's about. It's about the gospel. This is a good news story. Big idea. This is what you have here. Matthew, Mark, this is why they're called the gospels. This is good news for you. Why is it good news? Because of the content. It is the gospel. It is the good news. It is the story of, of something that's good because it's about Jesus. And that is the most common reference as far as you look at what, you know, what the gospels call. They refer to him as Jesus over and over and over. Savior. Jehovah saves. The Messiah. The gospel of Jesus. The Messiah who is the Son of God. And in those two ideas, we really have it. That he is a son, so he's born, but he is the son of God. I'm a human. I have a son who is a human. God would have a son, he would be God. And so here is, here is the, the way this works. God and man are being united in this Jesus. And that's why it's good news. And so we have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as Mark begins here, right out, the right out from the gate. And this is all Mark, like Mark doesn't talk about the birth. He doesn't, he just, he's like, let me get right to the story, guys. No preamble. This is the introduction for Mark. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The son, he is the son of God. He's the Messiah. And this is why this is important. Because this is the gospel that God has come to us. He is with us. He is Emmanuel. He is living with us. In order to save us, in order to, to allow for us to be back with him, to go back to the garden, to have fellowship with him, that he might live in us, to change us, to live with us. This is the good news. And it is seen in these four guys, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Some of the most influential people in history. right? The most read people of history by far, are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Right? Because of the content and because it's the most selling book of all time. And who were they before Jesus? Who were they before they met Jesus? Someone wasting his life gathering money through distortion. Matthew. Hated by everyone else. Mark. Young, spoiled, Rich kid. That's Mark before Jesus. Luke, you know, a very unselfish, giving doctor before Jesus. His whole life before Jesus. Sinner. All of them sinners. Some notorious sinner. But when they met Jesus, he totally transformed their life. And so we find really the gospel told through these men, but it's even pictured in these men. When these men gave themselves to Jesus, he transformed them. Entirely different. Miraculously, supernaturally different to where now we name our children after them. Right, we're trying not to name our children Jesus, but we'll name our children after these that followed him faithfully. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What a difference. Why? Because in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the same change he made in these men are the same change he wants to make in each of us. Not that we're the most read person in history. That's not what we're talking about. It's just that he revolutionizes us. God shows up. The storm stops. This is what Jesus does when he comes. And that's why it's good news today. Good news. And I trust you have received this one to your life. You've opened up to allowing him. Say, Lord, here I am a tax collector. Lord, here I am a doctor. Lord, here I am a fisherman. Here I am sitting with nothing to do, whatever. Wherever place you're in, 
if you give your life to Christ. Give your ship to him. Invite him into your boat. Invite him to control your boat. Um, there will be times where you feel like it's stormy. Uh, but it will be revolutionary. It will be revolutionary for you. And this is Jesus. This is God with us. This is what happens when God steps into our boat. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's come to him now. Praise him for the gospel of Jesus. Let me just appeal to you. If, if you have never uh, accepted Jesus as Savior, you've never received this gift, this good news of Jesus, the Son of God, um, then, then it would be just a matter of confessing uh, your sin, uh, confessing sinful state. You may say, I was never like Matthew, right? I was a little more like Luke. I'm just kind of a decent person. I'm real young. Uh, really don't know where I'm doing with life right yet. Well, you still need Jesus. You need to give yourself to him um, and say, Lord, here I am, send me. And when he steps in, it's just, it's totally different. Life is totally different. You can trust him in the storms. You're no longer in control of all that. Uh, you can trust him at all times. You can find in him a compass uh, and a captain. Uh, so let me encourage you to call upon him now as Lord. Uh, really kneel before him as Thomas did and say, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Um, confess sin and receive him as Savior. Well, let's all take a minute and praise him for who he is. Praise him for the difference he made in each of these individuals' lives. And pray that he will do the same in our lives. In a moment, we'll, Pastor Andrew will close us in prayer. If you'd like to pray with someone, I'll be standing in the back lobby. Be happy to talk to the Lord with you.